Welcome to the Recon Podcast. In this episode, we'll be looking at the range of kinky dynamics from the point of view of being monogamous, open, and polyamorous. Today, we're chatting with boy Nico, aka Nick, a good friend of Team Recon, about relationships within the gay and fetish community. Please enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our next edition of the Recon Podcast. Uh, in this edition, we're going to be talking about, you know, relationship structures and different kink dynamics. It's something I'm sure that comes up in conversations with a lot of different people all the time. Uh, and in our last podcast, uh, which we released, we had a question that came in and somebody asked about whether or not we thought fetish or kink relationships were much more likely to be open relationships. And that was almost a bit of the catalyst for, okay, then let's do a discussion uh, on this one. So joining me on this podcast is going to be uh, Matt and Nick, and we're going to be approaching it from, I guess, three different angles. And one of the things definitely I'm going to say from the outset that we don't want to do is to sex shame or relationship shame anyone. Uh, and I think we're going to uh, definitely try to give a few different points of views because we come from three completely different angles and hopefully you'll, you know, uh, it'll be informative uh, for all the people who are listening and you get to also understand how other people's uh, relationship dynamics or their kink dynamics or combined, uh, how they work. Our angles will be myself, the one-to-one dynamic uh, and I would hate to uh, use the dreaded M word. I think uh, gay guys for some reason, especially the fetish guys. What is it that you boys don't like the word monogamy? I don't get it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not you know, it's not all doom and gloom. You know, that's it's, there are some good things that can come out of it. So it's a word, one of those, you know, you have everybody has their word that they hate, the, the horrid one. Uh, this is one, hopefully, you know, we'd like people to, like a little bit more and hopefully as our podcast goes on um you'll get a little bit more of um an understanding of how the one-to-one dynamic works we're also going to have nick who's going to be angling i guess from the direction of polyamory so nick can talk quite a lot about that um and matt is going to talk about open relationships. And I'm guessing that this is probably a good place for us maybe to just start explaining a little bit more about what exactly it is we're talking about. Um, and I guess your first bit of education for today, uh, for those of you who don't know, there is actually a term for this and the c- correct terminology for this is consensual non-monogamy. Um, we know relationships comes in so many different forms and especially when you talk about open relationships. You know, there are lots of rules and boundaries and structures that different dynamics work for different people. Um, so hence the term consensual, uh, because it's basically people agreeing to the terms of whatever kind of relationship it is they're going to have. Um, and because they're, you know, it's not a one-to-one dynamic, it's involving other people. So it's a consensual non-monogamy. But as we go along, we'll probably uh, talk about that for a little bit. So that's probably enough of me rambling. Uh, so Matt, can you just give us a little shout? Hi, how is everyone? Yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, I'm good. So I actually really prefer the term, um, I, was it, um, consensual non-monogamy. consensual non-monogamy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think open relationships sort of 
is quite a big term to kind of throw out there. But actually consensual non-monogamy, I feel like is a better explanation of how I approach my relationship with James, who is my partner. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be covering that. And um, I will actually try, I'm going to break down the word monogamous and the why I feel like it doesn't, I don't particularly like that term either. No one asked you yet. <laughs> <laughs> <Not> yet. <laughs> <laughs> and also we have the lovely Nick, who's joining us from Chicago at the moment. Uh, or New York this week anyway. <laughs> it's great to be uh, asked to do this uh, since it's a subject near and dear to my heart. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm in a relationship with two other men. Uh, and then separately, I'm boy to a daddy also. So, um, yes, I can certainly cover polyamory because that's sort of that's how my life has turned out quite by accident, uh, I will say. Happily, happy accident. Very good. So one of the things I wanted to touch on, I'm sorry that I can't like share screen with the listeners, um, but we've done something a while back with uh, a pink therapy practice, which is based here in the UK. And uh, Dominic, the founder, the director, sent me uh, this incredible Venn diagram, which kind of explains so much about the different types of uh, relationships and dynamics. And that's something we're going to get into a little bit later on. But I guess it'll probably be good for us to talk, uh, I guess, about our own experiences and kind of what brings us or what got us to the point of where we are in our current relationship. So, I mean, as I'm, you know, uh, chatty host, I'll start first. Um, <laughs> and not that anything has brought me to the point of where I am right now of being uh, single uh, and I'm not advertising, but I'm single. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but in terms of, I guess, explaining my, how I got to being where I am right now with being someone who's much more in favor of the one-to-one -one dynamic and why I also think this works for so many uh, different people. Um, and it probably involves uh, another term, you know, and trying other things. When I was younger, uh, I had a three-way relationship. So I was, I'm guessing this was probably, a, well, I'm guessing I was invited in by a couple to be their third, which I would always call, you know, like I was the guest star. That was how it started. Uh, and we found that we got along so well. Uh, so we ended up dating uh, and it lasted for quite a while until actually we all moved away and that relationship kind of fell apart. Uh, of course, I've had one-to-one -one relationships before, and I'm guessing I've been on the other side of starting in a one-to-one -one in a monogamous relationship and then getting to that point of a few years down the road, you have some trust, you have a discussion, um, and then you kind of extend the boundaries. Uh, but I'm guessing one of the reasons why I think I'm so hardwired into this is, uh, which brings us into another turn, I'm very much a demisexual. And for people who don't know what that is, I'll probably explain a little bit. You know, a demisexual is someone who, in order for you to feel like the relationship or the that connection is working, you need to have the emotional attachment in order for to get the feeling like you can click or connect with this person. And for me in a relationship, it's that also comes down to getting to a point where I can or where we have in the relationship also developed a good level of trust. And I'm sure we've probably all had our hearts broken several times. I've probably maybe had mine broken more times than I care to count. And that has, I, how many have you broken? Uh, I think I maybe <laughs> have broken, if I counted, I think I maybe have broken three or four, but 
the other hundred broke the other hundred broke my heart. There was a satisfactory, there was a satisfactory smile when you're like about four. And then it's like a, I'm really counting in my head, like maybe three or four, maybe. Um you know, but it kind of it kind of got me to that point where, you know, I will admit as a gay man, I've I've got some trust issues. And I think having trust issues means for me, if I'm having uh, you know, meeting someone and we're gonna enter into this form of a relationship, um, I want to go through the point of getting to know you, building that emotional attachment, and eventually, you know, developing some trust. Uh and I think for me, trust is everything. When someone has broken your trust so badly it's not so easy to trust other people especially with with my heart with my emotions knowing that my sexuality is so strongly connected to my emotions and my emotional bond with people uh and just to clarify also i'm not like you know the bunny boiler type who is like love me or nothing else is gonna happen because people i have had my share of being an absolute whore going out and shagging around and I can do the one-to-one is totally fine but you know when it comes down to getting serious and dating um in my mind I don't want to be you know at home in bed watching tv and my partner is out you know getting roger scentless by somebody else that isn't going to work for me when I'm trying to get to know you and I'm trying to develop uh, a bond of trust uh with someone so I need to have that yeah, I, I need to have the emotional uh, bond. Uh, and that's really so strongly attached to my sexual connection with people, which I also think is a very important part of the relationship. So for me, the two things very much interlink. I know a lot of people can separate, uh, but for me, these things are very strongly linked. In talking about experiences also, I, you know, I, before we had the podcast, I chatted to a few other people um, about what, you know, their relationships were like and what brought them to you. And I was talking to another friend about, you know, my being a demisexual and how important the emotional attachment is for me. And it was something very interesting that he explained was another term of fray sexual. And maybe some of you may have experienced this also, whereas you know, you very often sometimes have one partner in a relationship, the more they get to know you, the more, the, the less emotionally attached they, they might become. Um, and I think some relationships have maybe even fallen apart because of this, you know, you get to know them so well. It's like, okay, I like you, we get along and maybe there's good sex, but the emotional bit kind of really separates and maybe I'm not explaining it completely well, but hopefully you kind of get the gist, you get the idea, but this is where I come to, you know, being, uh, definitely the um the monogamous type or the one-to-one dynamic i mean unlike antoine i've probably not broken any hearts but i've definitely broken people's will willpower and uh and patience over time but um i i have i mean i i'm in a i guess an open relationship with my partner james who i've been with we don't actually we don't actually know when we officially got together um because we were we were been hooking up for about eight years, eight, nine years. Um, and then we just kind of like, we would, um, we would see each other during sort of periods where we were both either both single. Um, and then eventually we just ended up becoming good friends and then, and, and now he's lives with me and yeah, we're, we're together. Um, but I've been in monogamous relationships before. Um, I, I, I find monogamy um i think as i as i've got older and explored my sexuality more i think 
I've become more comfortable kind of knowing what my needs are sexually and, um, and what I, and how to, how to conduct different types of relationships like sexual relationships or fetish relationships with different people. Um, I find, um, and again, I think monogamy probably does work for a lot of people. I think it, I think as, as a structure, I think it is probably, a good, safe, solid foundation for a lot of relationships. Um, my, my personal feelings towards it is I do, I do feel like that is the kind of almost like a cookie cutter type, uh, relationship dynamic that is almost more the more socially acceptable one. And I find, I find that a bit problematic because actually I think if you're sort of spoon fed this kind of idea that the only kind of healthy relationship you can have is a monogamous one, but you don't feel like you can be in those sort of relationships, then it's quite difficult to, to navigate monogamy. And I think you see kind of, um, you know, you see sort of, uh, whole relationships fun, like sort of crumble and fall apart because and the majority of that is, um, the breakdown either in communication or, people cheating on each other and i think well if some people aren't built to to live that way um what other avenues are there to kind of explore i do think um like antoine like there's lots of things i completely agree with you i think trust is a huge thing within a relationship and i think that does take time to to build and and it sort of like and evolve with your relationship me and james have we've been open for a while, but like that was a very sort of step-by-step process. And it was a lot of conversations and it's a lot of, a lot of potentially awkward conversations, but a lot of the time it's about, um, it's the conversations you kind of have to have with yourself. So if you have, um, if you know that seeing your partner with someone else is going to create, um, jealousy, you have to kind of really pick that apart and work out where that jealousy comes from and like how, how to deal with that. Yeah. That's how I feel about open relationships. <laughs> um, I have also, um, I've also have experimented with polyamory, which is a very short lived experience because I, um, I'm very good at having sort of a sort of ongoing relationships with friends and, um, and sex, sex partners. And I'm not talking about group sex, right? But group, group sex. I'm, I'm group sex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty good at that. all very good at group sex. <laughs> the, the five other guys disagreed with me, but <laughs> um, my 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 stint in polyamory was was short lived, and mainly because of the the people I I was with. I think uh, it worked it worked well, but I just didn't have the kind of time um, or energy to kind of throw myself into that fully. So I kind of I walked away from it. But um, yeah, I I find. Um, I think as well within sort of uh, gay and sort of queer relationships that the crossover within to fetish, I think is a lot of people have to have conversations. And I think a lot of it is navigating people's boundaries, people's, um, people's levels of pain, people. And I think that is all tied into having that, that constant, um, back and forth with sexual partners or people you're playing with. And that does lead to, you. um, dissecting kind of what your wants and what your needs are and what you hope to get out of different dynamics. So I'll, I'll, I'll sort of describe how I ended up in this because, um, it, it, I think that has some, some use. So I started out, um, I'm 53. So I started out in my early twenties in a two and a half year relationship that was 
monogamous because that's how I think we're all raised in the Western world to, to assume that that is the, that is the natural form of relationships. And so um, I, you know, that's what I, I got from the society around me. And so that's what we did. Um, my second relationship uh, started after I got sober at 28, clean and sober, and was a totally open relationship from the get-go. Um, my partner at the time was by day a, uh, a, a mechanical engineer who designed space satellites for a living, enormously intelligent person, and was a porn star in his off time because he liked having a lot of sex and this produced that. Um, so, uh, 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 obviously uh, he's coming from a totally different mindset than a, than a monogamous one. And I, I, I just said, okay, great. I'll try this because <laughs> I really like this guy and we're having a lot of fun. Um, and that lasted for about two and a half years until geography sort of separated us. When I, when I, uh, left where I was living, returned to the UK, I was then in a 16 year relationship that was monogamous, not because I wanted it, but because my partner's insecurities to be frank meant that it was necessary for him and my my being able to have other partners was less necessary uh to me <clears throat> that in the end turned out to be something of a hobbyian hobbesian bargain because um uh it was one of the stresses on our relationship because um the roles were very fixed and that didn't leave me latitude to explore other parts of my of my identity. And ironically enough, he was less able to be completely monogamous than me. Uh, he had a couple of slip ups and I, I, he was, he thought I would break up with him over it. And I, I said, I actually don't care about the fact that you had sex with somebody else. I care about the fact that you weren't honest about it. I'm a lot more interested in that. Uh, and then now I've been in, uh, in a triad with, with two other men uh, that I met at International Mr. Leather, actually at an orgy that was organized by them. And I asked to go and, uh, and that's how we met. And we became friends with benefits and part of a leather family that, I, that I'm a part of. And it just evolved from there um, until I was the one who actually said, this isn't really friends with benefits anymore. We're actually in a relationship with each other. And we all went, yeah, we are. <laughs> um, and at the same time, I now have more recently fallen into being a boy to a, a daddy, which I, I would not have guessed would happen to me either. I thought I'd be end up more, in a, more of a sir boy kind of relationship. No. Once again, I don't know myself as well as I think I do. I, I think that the, the things that have worked about the relationships that I've had have all been where everyone was really transparent about who they were, what they wanted, how they felt, uh, and <clears throat> really kept their cards on the table all the time. And where they haven't worked, it's because someone, and sometimes it was me, failed to do that and wasn't able to acknowledge their needs and their desires and how they felt about things that were happening in the relationship. Um, I, I think, you know, as you two have said, really, if you have trust, many things are possible. If you don't have trust, nothing is really possible in terms of an intimate relationship that that's durable. To me, the trust doesn't really relate to sex and who you're having sex with. That's, to me, the smallest part of it. I think a lot for a lot of couples that I've seen, that becomes a major fault line in their relationships is because for one reason or another, one of one of the one or both of them is unable to be honest about the fact that there's something they're looking for that they aren't getting in their own relationship. And instead of addressing that, they 
just go and meet their needs. And then you start feeling guilty about it. Then there are hidden things. And, you know, I think most people can sense when something isn't right. And so eventually you wonder what's going on and why is the other person a little different? And, and you're off down the rabbit hole. I will say that um, I'm constantly asked, like when I tell people I'm in a triad, wow, isn't that complicated? I can barely deal with one person at a time. <laughs> and um, the irony is, is it, it can be, but it, it, in the case of the three of us, we are different in, in ways that complement each other as long as we're all very open about what we're thinking and how we're feeling. Then our strengths and, and, and our weaknesses don't butt up against each other. Our, our strengths sort of make us more than the sum of our parts because our personalities fit a need that each one of us has differently. It's, it, is, it is difficult because you, you really can't hide anything. Uh, it creates like a horrible feedback loop that that's that's really difficult to to stop once it starts. And the, the other the other thing that is tricky is you you have to you can't totally separate the fact that you're in you're in a relationship with three of you, but you're also in individual relationships with each other person. And and you have to you have to make sure that you balance those in a way that's that doesn't compromise any of them. And respects the fact that your other two partners are also in their own bilateral relationships with, with each other. That's really the trick is just talking. <clears throat> and I would say that's the common theme of all the relationships I've been in. They have founded through lack of, t lack of emotional honesty more than anything else, not, not sexual behavior or anything else. It's the emotional honesty that's, the, that's been the absolute key. Listeners, you can't see me, but I'm shaking my head. There is so much of what Nick is talking about that I completely agree with. You know, when we talk about whatever dynamic it is you're having with, you know, your uh, your one solo partner in your uh, consensual non-monogamous dynamic or in a polyamorous dynamic, you know, the th things that continue to come up, it's about navigating trust. Uh, and I think something that's really important, I think no matter what kind of relationship you have, I think you guys will agree with me. It's like setting boundaries and having rules. You must have some kind of structure, um, you know, and I don't want people to think like, you know, I'm a complete old dragon because I like the, the M, you know, for me, I'm, I'm not against having a consensual non-monogamous relationship. I just don't want it at the start. You know, I'd rather let's establish something and let's, let's get to know each other because if I feel like I can trust you and if we actually have this open dialogue and we have good communication, then I'm willing to sit down and talk about it. You know, I'll, I'll give a very brief story on one of my other relationships where I maybe got my heart a little bit crushed a bit. You know, this is in a relationship together with an ex-partner together for about four years. And I think probably about three years in, I realized he was sleeping around. I wouldn't quite use the word cheating, but you know, he was sleeping around and I thought, okay, maybe he's a little bored and he needs a little spice. He needs a little something extra. I always knew he was a bit flirtatious anyway. So I kind of thought I just let it go and I let him have his bit of fun and then he'll get it out of the system and he'll calm down. And it'll be fine. Maybe that was my mistake because at some point I realized, okay, he's not calming down. So he clearly thinks whatever it is he's doing that he's getting away with it. And I don't know, but Nick, it's like you say, sometimes you always know you, you will know immediately most of the time. You'll at least know something is off. Yeah, I knew. And you know, what was, what was interesting, I then 
one day sat him down and had the discussion. And I said, look, you know, we've been together for a few years now and maybe, you know, I feel like it's time that we have a discussion about, you know, potentially opening up the relationship a little bit. And he went nuts. What do you mean opening up the relationship? You're my partner and I'm your partner. and We're together and we don't need anybody else. And I was thinking, bitch, you are the craziest person because I'm literally giving you the key. I'm giving you the golden, I'm opening the gate for you and you're throwing it in my face. And, you know, and I found it really quite, and of course, I mean, the relationship there just went completely downhill because not only that, you know, that he was doing it, but it was also for me a bit disrespectful. You made a decision about our relationship and you didn't involve me in this decision that you made. It's also disrespectful that I brought it up for you and you lied to me. And I think lying is something I think that for most people, trust is broken immediately. And once you lie to me, it's, it's over. Like I'm, I, I feel like I can't trust you. And I think this is also where a lot of relationships probably fall apart, which is in people's lack of communicating. So Nick, I think in this, you're very right. Matt, you as well, because I'm sure, you know, in, in the type of dynamic that you have with James, you probably have lots of discussions about things that you want to do, or when you're going out, how do you, how do you navigate your, your trust? You know, what boundaries do you set for yourselves when you're, um, when you're out? This is something I'd like for maybe you guys to talk about Matt, maybe if I can get you to talk about it first. I mean, I don't really have a filter when it comes to talking about my, my sexual exploits with any, with anyone. So, um, I think, I think James kind of knew that going into the relationship that like, I'm quite direct in terms of the things I like, the things I I'm interested in trying. Um, and like we, me and James explored and still explore a lot of things together. And like, it's, and that's the one thing I think why our relationship has lasted so long is because like, we both are interested in constantly trying new things and, um, experiencing things. There's always going to be, I think we both kind of know and understand there's always going to be a point where like there are experiences that the other one can't provide for us. Like as try as I might, James isn't like a huge hairy German daddy. He's like five foot seven and like quite small. So it, like we, we, I mean, we talk and like James is like, James is my best friend. So I have the conversations around sex as I would have with any, any best friend, which is quite open and quite um, unfiltered. Now, when it comes to having those experiences, we have, I think it was a very sort of a, it was a slow process where we talked about um, involving other people and like we kind of talked about the fantasy of that and what we would get out of it, which obviously led to a conversation around like how we would feel about that and how comfortable we would feel or like, why, why would we not be in, into it? And the types of people who we are both interested in, which obviously led on to like us exploring more once, once that was kind of underway and we were having sort of, um, we were having sort of threesomes and exploring things together. There was that, that trust level, um, that was kind of, uh, that kind of came into play where we're like, okay, this isn't so bad. Um, the kind of boundaries we've set are, I think we have like a list of people who like, we we're just like categorically, I don't want you to go, go there. Um, but it's quite, a, it's quite a small list. <laughs> like, um, so everyone's open game. Uh, 
everyone is fairly it's fairly open game um but like i but like it's I say it's like it is funny because it is quite a small list, but it's like it's an important list to have. And I think as well, like the the the, the people James put forward, I was like, yeah, I can completely understand why they're off the table. And when it comes to sort of like when it comes to like fetish play as well, a lot of it is down to like skills and um, experiences. Like I, if I want, you know, if I want to explore shabari or rope play, like I'm going to seek out to have that experience with someone who is knowledgeable, someone I can do that safely with someone I can, um, I can trust someone I can, um, I can explore that with in the best possible way. Um, something I can do with James, but you know, he's, he's not that, that isn't his kind of key interest. Yeah. Hold on to the fetish thing. I want, I want to come yeah. back to you guys separately <laughs> on the, oh, okay. the fetishness of your relationship. So <laughs> save that one in the pocket for a little bit. We're going to, we definitely okay. will come back to this one. Like I say, the conversations are all just a continuous. If like we, if we have, we'll have conversations with people and we'll feed it back to each other. <laughs> it's quite funny because actually, uh, Sometimes we'll be having conversations with the same people um, who Ooh, kind of do know you compare notes, compare pictures. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, being in this space, it it takes up a, a huge amount of pressure for me. I feel like um, I'm not built to be monogamous, and like I say, even from the get go, yeah, I think it's great to build a foundation with someone, but I don't. Um, I feel like sort of monogamy is a very um, is pushed on people a lot and i think especially within sort of sort of the in the gay world um you know i feel like it's a very heteronormative ideal that people have to live towards for your um for your gay relationship to be socially acceptable and i think and i personally feel that that is a that just doesn't work and i think i think it's sometimes harder uh, having sort of being in a polyamorous and open relationship because you do have to face a lot more judgment from the outside but also you have to kind of face a few really quite stark realities of people's emotional stability or like ongoing issues that they have that sometimes are very deep rooted um and people's shame as well so i think um it, it is tough it is tough at times but i think it's like it's good it's, it's a process you kind of go through and you actually learn more about yourself and more about your partner as well like there are conversations that james probably would have never had with me sort of three four years ago which like it, are a lot more easier to have That's really interesting. Uh, before Nick, you go, I'll just say it very quickly. It's it's so interesting because my experience is completely the other way around. I very often feel like I'm looked at like the alien by the other community because I'm not in an in a consensual, non-monogamous relationship. You know, they're like, "Oh my god, you're old-fashioned. You're dead." People have told me. You know, like chatting me up online told me that I'm boring. What do you mean? You're not, you don't do open relationships. Oh, you're boring. So it, it's my experience with it is, is so completely different. And uh, I'll let Nick maybe elaborate on his bits. And then I have two questions that I want to ask you guys. And hopefully, and this isn't necessarily just as only a clarification for me, but I think probably uh, our listeners may find your answers to my questions. Uh, if I can be a little devil's advocate a little bit, uh, quite interesting. So Nick, we were talking about things like uh, trust and boundaries. Um, how does it work with you guys? I mean, are you 
Are you three solo three? Are you three allowed to involve other people? Um, what it, it, it was it was sort of easy for us because we met at at a leather event, and in in a, a, a sex party they organized in their hotel room, and they were longtime friends by that point, like ten years. Um, we we knew each other from that context was the starting place, and we we all uh, none of us. All of us have had monogamous relationships in the past. Um, none of us look to repeat that um, for mostly the same reasons. Um, and so we, we, we actually take a lot of delight in who's, who our partners are screwing around with. In fact, uh, the, the sort of alpha of the three of us loves videoing, loves seeing video of what Rob and I are up to. Um, actually, all three of us kind of like this stuff, and so um, if if anything, there's there's uh, we get turned on by the, the the things the others do. We also do have like if we meet somebody who's really great, and you know we have really great time sexually with, and we think they'll get on as as people with the other two, we will invite them over for a session between all you know like four of us. Um, and, and the strike rate of success for that is pretty high because we don't, we, we, we're quite careful about who we invite over. We make sure that we really think that the, the, the chemistry will work. Um, so, so we've, we've had quite good luck actually with that. And then of course we, you know, of course now in COVID, nobody goes to events now, but <clears throat> we also, uh, go to the big leather events with the three of us go and then we go along with the leather family and all of us in that family are all carrying on with each other also the only limitations are really related to if if one of us feels that that, that somebody that is a regular playmate of one of the other two is is kind of bad news we then we will speak up not because we we are not out of jealousy or anything like that, but but simply out of look, this is kind of a bad news. <laughs> this person is kind of bad news. Um, there's uh, all, all three of us have had our issues with drugs. Obviously, I'm I'm clean and sober for a long time. Um, one of one of the other twos had a had a, a long term relationship founder over meth abuse, and uh, the third uh, experienced a lot of drug abuse in his family in childhood. So we all avoid anyone who's high, uh, which does make life simpler in some ways but um if we feel some, yeah if we feel somebody is actually a bad a bad news person we'll say look you know do you you know do you really need to play with this guy and and we have reasons for it and it's really you know sort of protective on that level it's not really about the the, the sex or, or or worries that we're going to lose the person uh because they've you know having a great time with a playmate <laughs> it was interesting when when um when i met the man who is now my daddy, that brought up an interesting conversation because uh, I wanted them to make sure that they didn't think I was looking for something that I couldn't find with them. The fortunate thing there was because they're a part of, of the fetish community, they understood that a power exchange relationship is a very different thing from, from uh, you know, just men being together. And so, um, it didn't cause that many, it didn't really cause that many problems. I mean, we had a couple of conversations, especially with, with, with one of them, the one who is more of an alpha by nature and, and they just wished me well and, and, um, and were very supportive. And, and that was the first time while the three of us were together, that one of us formed a, a deep attachment with, a, with another party.
so it was an interesting it was interesting to navigate but it was relatively uh relatively straightforward the one the one thing i would would note is um i read a book called out of the shadows by a guy named walter detz antoine you've heard me mention this to you before it's probably the best book i've ever read about gay men and why we are the way we are and there's a lot of discussion of relationships and what makes them work what makes them successful irrespective of whether they're one-on-one or or not <clears throat> and i really recommend that but it, it really it highlights that we don't need to assume that straight world's relationship structures should be our own um mm-hmm. we can invent our own relationships that meet our needs um and i i i I, I, I take I really understand what you say, Antoine, about I think there is a lot of prejudice against monogamous relationships, especially in the in the alternative community, just as there is a lot of prejudice for them in the mainstream gay community. And I I don't understand why anyone wants to invest time. We're already part of a minority, which is tolerated to some degree accepted, but still a sexual minority. And I really don't understand why any of us want to say somebody is less than because of their choices of who they love when we have a society as a whole, which we have problems with accepting us loving the same gender. So I, uh, that, that, that really blows my mind is, is when you see sort of bottom shaming and, and, and you know, you, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. Really awful. And totally counterproductive. If if I could show, uh, you know, the listeners this Venn diagram that I've got uh, from Pink Therapy, I mean, it's like A intersect, B intersect, C intersect, D. There are so many crossovers and overlapping foundations for building whatever type of relationship uh, that you you know that people are have arranged with their partners or in their one to one dynamic or whatever. And maybe let me see if I can make it a bit larger. So I'm getting a bit older and my eyesight is failing and I don't have my reading glasses at hand. Um, I want to see if I can, some of the print is quite small. Still single, ladies and gentlemen. You're you're making yourself sound like you're 96, Antoine, and you really aren't, but... I've got 2020 vision. I can see perfectly clearly. It's great. And my hearing is is spot on. Um, you know, one of the things here, you know, in the diagram, they talk about, you know, the relationship anarchy, uh, unicorn polyamory, you know, which is like uh, my partner allows me to have, you know, another uh, boyfriend or partner, but I'm not allowed, you know, to have an emotional attachment with someone else. Um, there's also the instances of, I have a, a very good friend who's also in a consensual non-monogamous dynamic. And, you know, they agree that if he sees someone else outside, he can only see them once. You know, he can't have a repeat. So there's, there's, there's no callbacks for the audition. There's one audition, you have one trial and you better make it spot on. You're having no callbacks. Um, that's another very interesting dynamic that they have. Um, and then there are the others who are allowed to actually go on proper dates. You know, I know another couple where they both had 
boyfriends, they both had other boyfriends who would also spend time in the house with them. Um, you know, so there are also the dating around types of relationships. Um, we also know that there is the don't ask, don't tell, like we kind of know, but we're not going to talk about it. I don't want to know who you sleep with. I'm not going to talk about who I sleep with as long as you're safe and you know, you respect me, I'm your partner or something else like this. Um, you know, there's also the casual, you go out together, you go to a bar night or you go clubbing and you're allowed to wander off in the dark room and, and, you know, have uh, another experience uh, that you want. And I mean, this thing goes on and on and on. And I think one of the things that's really important that we're trying to get across is once again, how different dynamics work for different people. And I think if you're in a particular type of relationship and that works for you, I, I don't want to sound like I'm naive, but I mean, wouldn't you want somebody else to be happy in whatever dynamic it is that they're in? You know, there are some guys who probably say, oh, you know, those guys are open. They sleep around. They fuck everywhere. And they're just greedy. No, they're not. You don't know, you know, what the relationship is like. You don't know them. You don't know them as people. You only just stand on the outside and see. Um, you know, they could be absolutely two incredibly loving people that have set some unique boundaries for what works for them, their relationship, and for also their sex life. I think it's it's very easy for people to judge when they're standing on the outside. And I think especially, you know, for Nick, it's like, thank you again for us, you know, for chatting so much about what your relationship is like, because the polyamory is one thing that people don't often hear about or to get to talk and understand the dynamic of how it it works on such a level and i think it's amazing that we are able to have these different uh dynamics and these different structures with people um you know and, and i'll just say this once again you know so it's, it's easy to say live and let live but i mean come on people i mean this is what we want to do we want to talk about being non-conformist so if we're going to be non-conformist we must also try to be non-judgmental and allow other people to live you know, the free lives that they want because we're allowed, we have the relationships that we want. Um, okay, boys, we're going to take a short break. Um, so let's make a cup of tea, grab a cup of water, glass of water or something else, make a quick dash of the loo, and then we'll be right back. We want to hear from you. Have you got a question for the hosts? Got some thoughts on the topics we've covered or just want to give us your feedback? Send us an email, podcast at recon.com. Once again, you can send us an email, podcast at recon.com. Uh, so welcome back. Listeners, thank you for coming back and joining us once again. Um, in our second part, I think it will be really good to... Uh, start with maybe the thing that brought us to um, thinking about the idea of having this conversation. Uh, one of the questions we got asked in our last podcast, asked the host, was, you know, whether or not we thought these consensual non-monogamous relationships were more prevalent uh, in the fetish community in terms of fetish relationships. And I think that this is, is quite an interesting one. And I probably have a very interest different perspective on it maybe than most people my answer to the question was i thought it was yes um that it's very much more likely that you know within uh, a fetish uh relationship dynamic you are much more likely to be open and i think that is simply down to the fact that people i think are primarily in the fetish sense it's, it's very much about your kinks and your your kink interests or your 
fetish sexual interests, you know, what your partner just may not do. I think, you know, Matt, one of the things you talked about a little bit uh, before was, you know, if you're interested in rope, you know, your shibari may not be, your, so your partner may not be a shibari expert, you know, and if you want to get tied up, then he can't do that for you. So it's about having the ability to have a different set of experiences, I guess, that's outside of the your normal, your everyday relationship structure that you have with your partner. Um, and so in this respect, I understand that it can happen a lot. Yes. And I think it's probably a lot less prevalent in, um, maybe from my side, you know, whereas people always say, Oh, you're the jealous type. I'm not jealous. I'm possessive. And for me, it's really simple. Like that is mine. It's not yours. It's not, you know, for anyone else, it's mine. And I think my, kink or my fetish dynamic would be much more akin to, you know, a sir boy or a dom sub dynamic or maybe a master slave dynamic. And in these instances, you have a lot of very strong prevalent one-to-one or uh, one-to-one structures that seem that work very well for a lot of couples. Um, so we know that in, in terms of the fetish sense, it can, it can work. It's just less prevalent. Um, but when we talk about um, why we think fetish relationships are more open, I think because you guys are definitely much more open. And maybe for me, it's also different because my range of fetish interests is maybe not so broad. So I don't necessarily always think like, you know, I've got a checklist of 50 things that I want to experience or that I want to do. But I understand very well that, you know, I could end up dating someone or who wants to experience these other things. Um, and in this instance, you know, I would be very much open to, you know, yes, I don't do that. I don't do rope. You want to experience that? Have a good time. I actually know someone who's going to, you know, do the best shibari on you you've ever experienced in your life. I mean, I'm pretty well connected. I've, I've been around. I'm pretty well connected around quite a bit. I know a lot. So um, if you, if you want to find someone, I, I can probably point you in the right direction. And I have done this with a partner before, you know, that works really well. But this, of course, works on a basis of, you know, of, of establishing in my mind, you know, once again, that kind of level of trust with them. So let's talk about uh, how the kink, the fetish dynamic works in either of your relationships. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I said this, touched on this earlier, like me and James are, yeah, we, I mean, we're quite lucky that we do have a lot of similar sort of similar fetish interests and it's something that we have definitely explored together as being in a relationship. Um, I love having different types of sessions with people. And for me, it is about that kind of connection as well. You can have a a great sort of one-off session with somebody and it can be that that's it that's like kind of like it's a thank you very much you know and um, we've both kind of got what we wanted out of it um, and I don't see how if we kind of know that's there that's the perimeters that we're going to be playing in and that doesn't really have an impact on my, my relationship with James because it's a completely separate experience and f- for me as well for James like I I want him to be able to explore what he wants to as well. Like if it's something that he can't necessarily get out of me. Um, I am like my, my fetishes and kinks are quite vast and wide. I really enjoy uh, for me to be honest, I enjoy other people's kinks. I feel like I'm a lot of the time I'm, I'm a visitor into other people's yeah fetishes. And I, 
and yeah, it's been a great way for me to kind of navigate what I like because there are cert- there's certain headspaces I'll be able to get in with some people that I won't with others. And so the fact that you can explore that, I think for me, just like gives you a much more enriched experience and a much more enriched sort of fetish and, and sexual life. I mean, that's how I view it. I think as well, like there's when it comes to like fetish relationship dynamics, right? It's like there's a lot of, um, there's so much and it's so vast that how do you kind of, for me, it's like uh, I wouldn't want to kind of, sign up and just be in one particular dynamic um it's nice to kind of it's nice to kind of visit but i you know it's not something i might might really want to spend too much time doing yeah i think i think it's true that there are more um fetish the fetish the fetish community in general is more friendly to alternative forms of relationships um, I, I, you know, this is not scientific, but that's my feeling from participating in it, which I suspect is because, um, we're kinky. And so that kind of lends you to a lot of experimentation. And once you start experimenting sexually, it's so not very far. It's not a, a big leap to start experimenting with, with the emotions that go along with them. Uh, I, I, <clears throat> I, in the case of, of the three of us, um, on, on the one hand, we're most of the time three men who are in love with each other, who happen to be kinky, but there isn't a power exchange dynamic to it. Um, it's certainly true that one of us is much more of an alpha than the other two, um, and he likes telling us what to do, and we mostly go along with it because he's pretty good. <laughs> Turns out pretty well. Um, and then sometimes we just agree, well, we're not doing that, and we just sort of blow it off. But um, but we're mostly three men uh, who love each other and then are kinky in what we do with each other. Um, and then, but then very separately, I, I am a boy to a daddy and that's a totally different relationship where, um, he's, he's, uh, <laughs> he's very good at making me want to do what he likes without actually telling me what to do. <laughs> I think this is the difference between like sirs and masters and daddies is, you know, Instead of being told what to do all the time, they kind of want you to figure it out. Um, but because we are so in sync, we just know what the other wants. It's it's one of the most intense relationships that I've uh, ever experienced um, on a constant basis because we're so in tune. He's so focused on me getting what I want and I'm so focused on giving him what he wants it's it's a it's like a totally we're totally in sync and often we don't even have to say anything to one another and whatever happens organically just works uh, whether we're whether we're in bed or not um but but it's a totally different mindset are you his only boy i'm the only one yeah i'm the only one and initially he had some reservations because he knew that there was an alpha in the relationship between the three of us And as he said, you know, doms don't like to share. Yeah, they don't like to share. And and like very early on, I I had to explain to Dwight and to to my to to the alpha uh, Dwight in my in my relationship and and to to Q, look, I, I, I entered into this. So it's my job to keep both of you happy, actually. 
even if that's really complicated for me at times because some things don't readily lead themselves to, to solving. And the two of them, I introduced them to one another pretty early on so they could get some basic sense of each other. I told them, you can say anything you want about me to either of you. I hope that you will also tell me, you know, if it's about me, I hope you will also tell me separately for your own sake, but you can, you can say anything you want to, uh, to one another. And at the point when my daddy was comfortable that actually my relationship was not actually a power exchange relationship, it wasn't a dom sub relationship, anything like that, then he was like, okay, then this is going to work because otherwise um, they, they, don't, they don't like to share. So it was that that negotiation was the only thing that was not organic and really uh, totally easy. They had to actually agree that they wouldn't give me instructions that carried over to the time when I was with the the other one uh, pretty early on. <laughs> my God, um, my head is spinning. My head is yeah, spinning. That, that was that was pretty that was pretty easy. They they figured that out for themselves pretty easily, and I suspected I didn't really need to get involved in them figuring that out. I'm quite the possessive person, you know, also with my partner. And I also think I know what I'm like. I'm very giving and, and I'm naturally a pleaser. So I want to please my partner. And if I'm together with someone, you know, my energy goes into pleasing them. And sometimes I think to myself, I've only got enough energy for one. I can't, you know, I can't spread that. I, I can't spread the joy so thinly. You know, it gets in my mind, the joy gets watered down. I, I I would say about that, I think there's something to be said for that. So, I mean, aside from the fact that it's valid because you feel that way, if if the relationship I have with my daddy was the same type of relationship I have with my other two, I wouldn't be doing it because it, it would be the same. I would be doing the same thing, but totally separately. And I would rather mm -hmm. invest that same energy in the three of us rather than split it off. Um, yeah. the, the reason why this works is because it's so totally different. It, it, it engages a part of my psyche that is totally separate from what I have with the other two. There's really no overlap. And so who I am with the three of them is who I am with them. And I wouldn't look for more opportunities to have the same type of relationship with anyone else. I would invest that in the three of us. Just like I wouldn't look for another power exchange relationship. And, and, he wouldn't tolerate it either. He would, he would say, well, no, I'm not doing this. Um, so I think that's hard for people who have not been in a power exchange relationship, maybe to understand it's just completely different, <laughs> completely yes. different than, than uh, a more traditional relationship. Traditionally in the sense of you're just in love with another person. It may be kinky, but it's, yeah. but it doesn't have a differential power, power dynamic. <laughs> I think it's, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, ask another question um, about, you know, fetish relationships. I'm sure that we, we've, we've all seen, um, you know, these bits online where people have their BDSM test and, you know, okay. And now this is for the general public. This is for our listening public. And maybe you guys can also explain to me as well. You know, I always see the other bit that says, you know, I'm 96% non-monogamous. I'm 76% non-monogamous. I'm 20% non-monogamous. What, what does that mean? What does 76% non-monogamous, what, what, what does somebody explain it to me? What does that mean? I think, I think with all sort of relationships, there's always something, you're always in a bit of a sliding scale. And I think that very much depends on maybe what... Wait, you're either with me or you're not. Yeah, well, I don't know, because we... 
in the break we we sort of touched upon um sort of like uh, sexual libido and i think there are periods where there are periods where like you know my testosterone kicks in and i want to explore a lot more um and there are periods where i'm not i i'm not and and again being in a relationship with james that's a discussion sort of we have and we work out where each other is so yeah i think like I can go a whole year and be maybe at different percentages of like how I feel. Like, I mean, right now is like kind of a perfect example because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, you know, when we're sort of like making sure we're not going out and meeting other people and we're very conscious of who we are seeing. Um, and that's kind of a, a discussion because of like, obviously the pandemic, but like, it, you know, it's opened up a discussion around like, well, we're going to, we're probably there's probably not much point in us taking our prep daily because it's not something you know we're not going out and exploring things because neither of us feel comfortable doing that because of covid so um but like post pandemic you know that percentage might go up depending and i must say summer's always like the time where i normally come into heat as well so like i know that in the summer there's probably going to be hopefully more sort of uh options and experiences that are ready for nick what do you think do you think there's definitely much more pressure um from the fetish community to be uh in a consensual non-monogamous relationship i, th I think there's an assumption that people you meet are more likely than not to be more on the open side and then the question is when you find out that somebody you're talking to is not so inclined how do you treat them And I think that's really the key. The key point is there shouldn't be any, there shouldn't be any judgment or or yeah. pressure applied to be a certain way. Um, just like you know the, the 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 value judgments about whether you're a bottom or a top uh, that that frankly are way too widespread still. Um, yeah. all, all of that it's the same. It's the same thing. It's just conformism based on insecurity with a different with a different um format really mm. and people should allow each other to be people should be happy that anyone can find and and maintain loving relationships irrespective of their form and be a little open-minded because i think the thing about this percentage thing is there aren't really people are not entirely black and white people i mean even as you've yeah. said antoine yes you want things to be to be exclusive for at least a period of time while you cement your relationship but then later yeah. on other things are possible so I, you know nobody is you know 100% anything like i come up as like 90% brat but actually i'm not very bratty when it comes to my daddy relationship because there's just no need for it <laughs> i say that for other people um so i you know i i th i think it's it's uh those are sort of indications of maybe a, a a direction of travel you're interested in but unless it's like 90 or something there's always exceptions and i think you have to allow for difference and accept that chemistry your chemistry with another man or men may change how you want to relate to them. And if you're open to that, I think you'll have more loving relationships. I think you'll have more intimate relationships of all kinds if you're willing to relate to people to some degree in a way that's complementary with their psyche, even as friends, actually, yeah. even, even yeah. any kind of intimacy. I think you, 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 you'll, you'll experience a more... Certainly my life has been enormously enriched by being willing to 
to consider, well, I'm really into this person. Yeah. So I'm going to see where it goes. That brings me so amazingly into my next question. Um, and one of the things, you know, in my chats with people um, about doing this podcast and getting different perspectives, uh, one thing that has seemed to come up quite a lot is the question on where people draw the line between their sexual needs and their emotional needs. Um, and once again, I'll say that for me as a demisexual, this is really quite tricky because my sexual need in terms of a relationship is really attached to my emotional need. And I can't say that this comes from a point of insecurity. This comes from me. This is a point. This is all about trust. And I think if trust is established from the start, then insecurity then has no place in my relationship dynamic if we can establish good trust. Um, but these two things are so intrinsically linked for me. And I always find it really amazing at how people are able to navigate or separate the two things. Um, you know, intimacy with the partner versus, um, you know, the sexual need. Uh, so it's almost... Uh, it it almost sometimes seems like there are two different types of relationships within your relationship with your partner, if that makes any sense. Um, because you have definitely, you're together with them. So there must be some emotional attachment. Um, I'm just going to like touch on like, I guess like the sort of the emotional needs, uh, like sort of you mentioned, um, as much like me and James, like we, we get on very well, obviously, but, um, you know, and we, we do rely on each other sort of for that side, that sort of the emotional side quite a lot. But like, I think you, the way I kind of see it is like, you know, James is a great safety net. Well, we're both a great safety net for each other, but sometimes like you, like if, if you're wanting advice about something, sometimes there's always going to be a friend that is going to be more knowledgeable or someone who's going to be able to support you in a completely different way. And I think I say, I kind of see that the same way as sometimes like sort of, um, some like sex and other types of intimacy is like, you can still get those, um, those experiences and, and that inter- intimacy or that kind of, um, that emotional side from, from other people as well. And James just happens to be someone who's kind of a bit more of a well-rounded person for me. Um, so he's like my, my primary person. And then, um, the way I've always seen is, yes, you have an issue with something. There's always going to be a more appropriate person to kind of ask their advice or opinion. So, Nick, what about you? How do you combine or separate the sexual from the emotional and the intimate? Or do you separate them? I mean, I think that there are times when they're separated and there are times when they are, when they are joined together. The three of us have a, a, an emotional life and bond independent of the fact that we're all having sex with one another, but it definitely impacts the other. Um, I, I, I'm, if I'm angry at one of the two, I don't want to have sex with them. And so obviously I don't want to screw that up. So yeah, it's another motivation to, to be transparent and solve problems. Um, and, uh, it's also true. I'm the most emotionally expressive verbally of the three of us. Um, which is certainly in my case, a legacy of being in recovery for a long time and spending so many times at meetings talking about how you feel. Um, yeah. And the other two are less comfortable with 
that way of expressing things and are more nonverbal. Sometimes they express how they feel physically. I do that too, but it's an add-on to the fact that I'm saying it. Yeah. Whereas by, by, by comparison with my daddy, both of us are in recovery. So we both communicate emotionally the same way. So whenever there's any dispute, we just spit it out and it's then over with. Like <laughs> it's just done. Um, so it's much that that part is simpler. But I don't think you can escape when you're when you're in love with someone. I don't think you can escape the fact that these that that sex doesn't have to be an expression of love or intimacy, but yeah. it's a hell of a lot more intense when it is. And uh, the the challenge I think becomes how do you maintain novelty over time? and experimentation with a partner uh, so that the the sexual expression of how you feel remains new and interesting uh, and, the, and the like. And um, I think we're lucky in the, in the fetish community, we're lucky because we have more actual techniques of things that you can get into to actually do with one another. And over time, you can keep trying more of them. Whereas I my from when my my pre fetish days you, you're a little bit more limited and honestly i think the uh the, the porn industry has a very stylized representation of what good sex is which doesn't actually lead to uh, a lot of the experimentation i think we're we're also they have a lot to answer for um <laughs> but but i don't think you can i don't think you can divorce the two i think if you have a healthy emotional bond it certainly lends to having a much better sex life Whereas the, the reverse is not necessarily true at all. If we're looking at it from, you know, the people looking on the outside, you know, once it gets, this is going back to the point I made earlier on people not, you know, they're seeing you out and they don't know what your relationship is like, or your dynamic is like, but they're always going to have some assumptions, you know, naive or otherwise. Um, what would you potentially say to that guy who says, well, why would you choose to be with someone who doesn't give you what you need or what you want? Good question. Is it a good question to ask? Yes, mm -hmm. I know. <laughs> I think like, so, like every relationship I think is kind of unique. My, my comeback to that would be, I do know what I want and I do know my needs. And I'm just, I'm, I think it's healthier to be able to express that than not. Yeah, that's quite, yeah, it's kind of really the only thing I have to say about that. And I think I think you're right. I think there is like I think the impressions on people of people in open relationships is this like uh, you mentioned Edia. Oh, it's because they can't get the emotion that maybe that all of those needs from one person, and that's a negative thing. And I'm like, no, that isn't a negative thing. I think that's actually quite a healthy thing to acknowledge. And and I think yeah, like there's. There's a lot of stuff I, I do get out of James, but like, you know, the things I don't get out of him are things I still want to be able to enjoy and explore. And, um, you know, the, the other side of that is I think people maybe look at people who are in a monogamous relationship and just think, oh, that's just, that's a very repressive place to be. But I'm like, if that works for people, like good for them. Like it's, they can invest all of that time in that one, that one sort of relationship. Um, yeah, I think like the main the the main relationship you really need to have is kind of the one you have with yourself, and once you've kind of got that a little bit sorted, I think that's when you can really kind of have a healthy relationship with someone else. It does matter, and it doesn't matter what type of relationship you want to have. I think the easiest way to answer this question to somebody who's from the outside looking in at something they don't necessarily experience 
is to, to, to ask them, do you believe that two people will have exactly the same interests in the same type of sex at the same time for a couple of decades? Do you think that's a reasonable assumption to make? Because I don't actually think that that's a reasonable assumption to make about anyone. As, as you were saying earlier, Matt, sometimes you're randier than others. Uh, sometimes I'm, well, I'm kind of always randy, pretty much, but it, it does vary slightly. And what I'm interested in doing on a given day does change. You know, you know, one day I might be interested in something, you know, like CP or, or water sports or something. And my partner's like not up for that that day. Well, fine. It's not that they're not up for it ever. It's that they're not up for it that day. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think you can approach sexual the sexuality as a, as a as a finite container that only has certain things in it. Um, I think you have to. To me, sexual sex sex itself is like a language with an unlimited vocabulary, and throughout your life, you can add to it if you want to. But even if you don't want to add new words, you may put them together in a different way. It doesn't take anything emotionally away from my relationships to have experimental dates with third parties to see if I'm interested in something that they may not be interested in. It's not a, a the fact that one partner is not interested in something specific sexually isn't a negative. It's just a difference. And instead of attaching a value judgment and saying, well, because you're doing something that your partner is not interested with somebody else, it, it's, it has a, a, a value judgment that's negative towards your partner. I don't think that's true. <clears throat> it's just a difference of interests. It's like suggesting, well, I'm going to be married to someone for 20 years and they're only interested in reading books about these subjects. So that's the only books we're going to have in the house are those books or those television programs. It's, it, that's it, that's, that to me is bizarre, honestly bizarre. And I think if you can accept that having great sex does not have to come with love, it can yeah. and does come with love, but it does not always have to come with love. Then you lose a lot of these value judgments about somebody is not good enough, somebody is not enough, and all of this kind of thing, because I don't think... We're not a we're not a container of limited yeah. size. We're people, <clears throat> and, and that that concept of somebody is not enough because they don't like X it devalues people um, and 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 imposes a limitation on them that's that's entirely from the outside. It's entirely a judgment from the outside uh, on somebody's life that they are not living. And and that doesn't make any that doesn't make any sense to me even even logically. Uh, it, it I think it says more about the questioner yeah. than it does about the person being questioned, and quite candidly, uh, probably more about a lack of self esteem. Perhaps they've been hurt in the past in some way by somebody um, uh, or the like, rather than than anything else. But I I, I think that the capacity of human beings to express intimacy physically is infinite yep. yeah is infinite Absolutely. and and we should be glad about that who wants to run out of things to do if you say this as well i think this is why a lot of relationships very often fail 
And, you know, we hear people say all the time, oh, you know, sex is, has become boring after 10 years or 15 years together. And I think this is precisely it. They almost run out of things to do and they're not, they haven't somehow got to a point of being able to talk about what they want. I just want to get you guys to, you know, let's uh, start to wrap up uh, just a little bit. You know, one of the things I'm, um, I want to remind our listeners about, you know, it's, and hopefully you've got it from listening to our beautiful speakers and to myself as well. You know, there is no wrong way of having a relationship. We're all individuals. We're all very unique and we all have our different needs. And I think it's amazing when you're in a place where you are able to, you know, we talk about having this relationship with ourselves, where you're able to be open and honest with yourself about who you are, what you need, and how you're going to negotiate that with your partner. Um, one of the things that always gets thrown around in relationships is, you know, people talking about making compromises. And sometimes it may seem as though people who are consensual, non-monogamous relationships make less compromises, but I can assure you that they do because these boundaries have to be set with their partners and there are rules and things that come into place. So it's, it's always something to remember that, you know, the type of relationship you have really does begin with the type of relationship you have with yourself. And I think that comes from being open uh, and honest. And I think, you know, we started off with, you know, how you got to the point where you're at in your life right now. So maybe let's just say as a closing uh, for Matt and Nick, if you can tell us, you know, like where you are right now, the relationship you have with yourself and how that works in your dynamic and just in your life in general. I think like being, being, um, being open is you kind of have to sort of work out like when when it comes to being open being open mentally being open emotionally and being open physically and kind of where how comfortable you feel with that i think like hasn't taken me a long time to get there like i but it's taken i became very comfortable with my sexuality and like um my kinky side from quite a young age and i was lucky that i sort of surrounded myself with people who um, encouraged that and supported that and was non-judgmental about that. And that's kind of just the way I've kind of gone forward and being with James, you know, I, we, you know, I'm very kind of, I'm quite sort of direct in terms of how I feel, because I think it's really important for my own, my own well-being. I can't, I can't support James and be the best partner I can if my, if I'm not sort of looking after myself, like that way as well. So, where we are well yeah like i'm quite happy james is seems quite happy um you know it's like the pandemic has been a bit tough on us but like actually it's just it has meant that we get to have different types of conversations and we get to explore things in a different way but yeah. hopefully by the summer <laughs> <laughs> you break free Break free. Look up your look look up your daddies. <laughs> <laughs> daddies look out at the end of the pandemic. Yeah. Matt will be once again. Oh, I'm gonna be like I'm gonna be like a rockweiler, like <laughs> uh, fantastic. <laughs> and Nick, how I mean, you have had a wealth of you know experiences that has been it has been amazing to listen to you. And I mean, hopefully, you know, between both you and Matt, you've given a lot of clarity to our listeners. Um, and I think it's something that uh, you know, we need more of. Where are you at now? 
the irony is, uh, like I tell people every decade, I think that I get older, I think I, it can't be better than the last one. And it is. I'm the happiest with myself and my emotional relationships I've ever been in my life, even though in some ways they're the most difficult because they, they demand a lot of me to not make the mistakes I made in my earlier relationships, especially my 16-year relationship, which founded because we stopped being able to tell each other hard things. We catered to each other's insecurities fundamentally. And yeah. I think once you start doing that, you're really lost because it doesn't stop. Um, it's very hard not to, to fall into that trap. It certainly is for me. Um, and, and the, you know, with being in a, in a triad requires a lot of emotional honesty and you have to be able to tell people anything, really anything in relationships. I think you have to be able to tell people the worst thing about yourself and accept that they will accept you anyway. Or the thing you think is the worst thing about yourself, which may not be what they think is. Um, but I, I, I'm continually amazed by how much love I have in my life. Um, and it's not just a question of one plus one equals more love. It's more like an exponential thing. Well, that, that's what I've experienced with being in a triad is it's not, it's not one more. It's like times three. Um, it's like a logarithmic thing. I will say that the fetish community has shown that the people that I have met have shown me a better way of living for me that is constantly evolving. Um, and I think at its best, we are the great experimental laboratory of gay life because we are constantly questioning, is there more? Should we try something else? Should we do something else? Can we add more people? We're, we're natural sort of nonconformists, but also experimentalists. And um, I think this has a lot of value, which the wider gay community has not yet realized. But um, I know, I know for me, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I thought at one point I was a fairly vanilla person and a top and I'm neither. Um, I found that when I cleaned up actually. <laughs> so I'm the opposite of who I thought I was when I came out. That, that's the, the irony is, is I'm the opposite of the person I thought I was when I came out because I had to unlearn all of society's ideas about who I should be, of who men should be and all the rest. And um, yeah, I'm easily the happiest that I've ever been. And, um, and honestly, I, my, my partners, we've, we've all said the same things. All of our personal relationships have improved in the pandemic because we've been forced to put the effort into spending time with each other under stressful circumstances. One of my partners works in healthcare in, a, in the laboratory of a major hospital. So you can imagine how much fun that is. Um, and, and, and reaching out to friends across the world and staying connected to people. I've, I've, I've had to hone my relationship skills a lot. And I, I think that's probably true of, of many of us, but it's, to, it's definitely been to my benefit. No, I'm, I'm, I'm actually the happiest I've, I've ever been. And I'm very grateful to be able to say that because I know, um, that's not universally true at all. A, a lot of people have had a very hard time the last, the last year and mm -hmm. still are having a very hard time. Thank you both for being so open and sharing. The thing that people, you know, if I, I, I don't think any of us would ever say it enough, um, you know, and talking about the type of relationship you have with yourself. 
first thing you have to do is to figure out how to be honest with yourself um, and be honest with yourself about who you are and about what you need. And that may make it a little more tricky with finding someone who loves you for who you are, but you shouldn't try to be anyone else, you know, just be you. Uh, yeah, it's it's really relevant. Be honest and, and be open and keep having dialogue with your partners, people. Um, never give that up. I tell you, it will save a lot of relationships and I think you'll find uh, you'll be a lot happier. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Nick and Matt for taking the time to join us on today's podcast. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed listening and that you came away uh, learning something. Uh, once again, you know, my reminder, just be open and honest with yourself and with your partner and whatever you're doing. Uh, have a good time. Peace out. <laughs>